You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. everybody this is victoria your dog guru and today we are answering your canine questions so if this is the first time you're joining us this is ask your dog guru and it's a great place for dog lovers and canine owners pet parents all around the world to get advice about their dogs so if you ever want to you can email me directly at dogguru here for you at gmail.com or you can join our dog guru hounds group on facebook so all you have to do is search for dog guru hounds on facebook you'll find it super easy in addition to that a couple of announcements First up, if you haven't checked out BlazingCaribouStudios.com, you are missing out. We have a bunch of amazing podcasts to fill your podcast playlist. Trivia Geeks, Feast on History, Varmints, The Soapy Madams. There's lots of stuff to check out there. So be sure to check out BlazingCaribouStudios.com. And the link is right in the show notes. All right. So without further ado, let's get into our first question, which comes from Michelle. And she writes, I believe my three and a half year old Pitbull Max goes in and out out of depression, and I know it might sound stupid, but also PTSD. I don't know how to help him, and whenever he hears a fire truck, he freaks out. Back in May, our house caught fire. Max's best buddy, Rose, 14-month-old black lab, was downstairs where the fire and explosion happened. My daughter tried to save her, but couldn't. Max got smoke inhalation and carbon monoxide poisoning. I swear he used to look at me like, what did you do with my buddy? You put her downstairs, and I never saw her again. We are living in a camper on our property, as that's our only choice right now. We cleaned out the house, and again, Max seemed confused as to why he couldn't go in the house, and I understand that. This past Friday, 11 weeks later to the day, I had to call 911. The power line was on fire. The fire department responded. Max started to shake and whine. I had him in my car as I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I moved my car so he couldn't see the fire trucks. Our vet said a dog doesn't forget and to spoil Max. There has to be something we can do to help him not be scared when he hears a fire truck and not get so depressed. I know people do all the time. I love Max and hate seeing him when these things happen. Please don't suggest another puppy as we aren't ready for one with our living situation. Are we replacing her? I have to get over the guilt of putting her in the downstairs. Her and Max together by themselves were trouble. Oh, wow. Your family has been through so much and I'm so deeply sorry for that. I mean, how traumatic for all of you, not just Max, to, on top of that, lose one of your dogs in the process. It's just, I'm sure you're all struggling with depression. And like you said, you know, you're, you have all of this guilt. I want to open with, and I have mentioned this in an episode before, dogs do mourn and they do it in their own time. You can't really rush it. The first thing that I want to say is I do agree with your vet. One of the best things you can do is spoil him right now. Give him a little extra love, lots more one-on-one. Make sure that he gets extra cuddles. Dogs understand what we're saying to them. And my dog just went through a long mourning period because the dog who he was raised with and who I've had for 16 years just... Uh, he isn't used to living without him. He needs him. He misses him. 
And occasionally he'll go over to his dog bed and sniff it. Now, unfortunately for you guys, you probably don't have anything of roses to give to him. But if you did, that would be my first piece of advice. But I'm assuming that that isn't available. So the first thing you need to do is exactly what your vet said, which is kind of spoil and overlove him right now. Because in all likelihood, he's feeling very disconnected. I also wouldn't have recommended getting another dog. I never recommend that when dogs are mourning for a few reasons. I've seen it blow up in owners' faces, being one of them. The other reason is, is because if you lost a family member, you wouldn't just want someone to try and replace them. Well, dogs are no different. They, They really get connected to an individual. You might even have, and in some cases, other clients have had, you know, multiple dogs in a house, but if they have a special connection, there's withdrawal from that connection, not from a presence of another dog. And I think that's often confused. You know, the the go-to is always, well, we'll just get another dog and he'll be fine and he'll be distracted. Well, what has happened to some, being that I worked in aggression for so long, what I've seen happen and what people don't often report is a couple of things can blow up. (laughs) One is sometimes the dog that's in mourning does not want another dog around in that space. It's almost sacred to them because they are not out of their mourning period. So they can be a little bit moodier, distrustful, maybe not in the bonding mood, even aggressive in some situations. There are other scenarios where you get a dog and at first they're getting along, but your dog is still depressed. So now you've got a depressed dog and another dog that needs your attention. So you've now got essentially two areas where now your attention is split, which isn't really fair to the first dog. So I always try and advocate for who you've got, not who you're thinking about getting. For me as an individual, just to put that out there for other owners who might have just lost a dog and be considering another one, if you're still mourning, you might as well assume your dog is too. Now, like I said, every dog varies. Some dogs get over it quicker than others. And what I always try and do is bridge the connection. And while I can't replace that dog, I try and make my current dog more fulfilled. So you might do things like take more walks with him or, you know, watch a show with him and let him get up on the couch. I don't know what your rules are. And I know you're restricted on space. So that's why I'm recommending some of these things. You know, bonding is really important. Even throwing a ball back and forth, getting his endorphins going, help replace some of those negative feelings that he's got. So that's that's where I would start. If you have anything that smells like her at all that survived, I would make it Either bring it into the camper so that he can smell it and it can give him some comfort um, or let him, if it's like a collar or something that you had or a leash that you used to use, anything like that, that would have her scent on it, let him smell it. Because here's the other thing. He never got to say goodbye. So to him, there's, you know, he, he just is missing her. And this is a lot for a dog to process. He doesn't really know what happened. And now he's got all of this trauma. And I don't think what you said is ridiculous at all, by the way. I don't think it's ridiculous to think that he has essentially a form of PTSD. I've seen lots of anxiety cases, many, many anxiety cases where sounds or motions would be triggers. Why would it be different for something that was this traumatic for everyone? Not only did he have his own drama and emotional stress to deal with, but he also watched the entire family 
you know, go through all of this as well. And you're all going through growing pains now and probably not the people you were, you know, 11 weeks ago. So I say all of this because while they aren't human, they do have very real emotions. And, you know, in terms of trying to work him forward from the triggers he's got, first of all, he's going to have to have a long birth of time before these are not triggers because, you know, it's left a pretty indelible mark on his psyche. So now what you have to do is build forward, not try and act like that didn't happen because like your vet cited, they don't forget that easily. (laughs) I would do with him what I do with all dogs who have a sound trigger. The first thing I do is start associating a treat with a word. So in your case, I would probably be like, what's that? you know, and try and make it a a positive association thing. So when he hears it, you can go, what's that? And then he gets a cookie. Now, there's a few reasons I'm recommending this, and I'm going to explain it. The first reason I'm recommending this is not to make him fat and to drive you nuts and make him treat dependent. It's to start getting his attention. Because right now, his attention is not going to be on anything other than the sound and what it meant to him. So what I would do is first I'd just start with a word. So what's that? Or a phrase in this case. What's that? And at first there's no sound, okay? You're literally just saying the phrase and giving him a treat. Now this means nothing to him, but I like to teach a dog a behavior before the time of stress actually arises because then I know it's there. You can't always, it's not that dogs can't learn in a stressful time. I've had to work dogs in stressful scenarios all the time. But if you don't give them a foundation or some sort of language to go off of, you're asking too much to train them in the moment with something they have never learned. So that's why I want you to work this when there's no stimuli, essentially. You could even do this in, you know, in your camper where there is literally nothing for else for him to f- focus on, okay? The next thing I want you to work on is getting his eye contact when you ask for it because you are now his security blanket. Rose is gone and you are now his security blanket. So you need some eye contact because that's going to be your saving grace. When he can't handle, you need him to check in with you and let him, let you take the reins and handle the situation. So, to get a dog to do a proper watch me or a proper look, whatever you want to call it, it's it's the same cue. You'll just take a treat from their nose, bring it up to your eyes as quickly as you can, as long as they've got the scent and they're kind of interested in the treat because you're luring them to from their nose to your eyes, which then gets you the eye contact. And you'll say, good boy, Max, and give them the treat. And you're going to do this a lot. And you're going to start with just a second of eye contact. And then you're going to hold the treat up there for five seconds. And then you're going to go back down to one second. And then you're going to go up to 15 seconds. Then you're going to drop down to two seconds. Now, why are you making the times random and going back and forth on length of time? Because you don't want him to get bored with this behavior. It's, in a lot of ways, going to save him emotionally. If a dog has a really strong sit and look, you pretty, pretty much can get them to check back in with you. But without a solid foundation of that, you're getting nowhere. And I will tell you, I define a solid foundation of a cue as if a dog will do it when they're excited or stressed. If a dog won't do it in that context, I don't believe they know it well enough. And for that reason, they don't know the cue. Okay, so now you've got your look together 
and you've made it random lengths of time, so he can never anticipate that it's gonna be too long or too short, and he's always interested. Now, I'm assuming your dog already knows a sit, but if he already does, then you don't have to lure him into it and get his butt on the ground. I'm sure he's done a sit in his life. He's three and a half. So assuming he already knows sit, I just want you to add a hand signal to it if you don't have one. Visuals are important. Remember, we just taught him that we want his eye contact. Well, eye contact in and of itself doesn't calm him down. So eye contact equals your open window. Okay, so once you ask him to look, then you'll ask him to sit. The easiest way to add a hand signal to sit is just flip your palm up towards the sky flat and ask for the sit. And when he does it, give him a treat. You've just added a hand signal. Do that over and over. And before you know it, he'll start sitting, even if you don't use the word, as long as he sees the hand signal. Dogs are very, very visual. Now, there's a reason we're doing all of this. We're isolating his movement. We're getting him to contact us. Uh, we're getting him to check in. These are bonding moments. But it also is giving trust over to you, that you can make sure that he is safe. Everything that he knows kind of got flipped upside down. His place that used to be safe isn't safe anymore. He doesn't live there. His buddy's gone. You guys are going through all of these emotional changes. Dogs are very, very tuned into their environment, probably more than anything else. So while you're going through this, he's going through it with you. Your ultimate goal is to start playing the sound of a fire engine either on your phone or on the radio whatever you have to do at a very, very low volume. Now you don't do any of that until he's sitting on cue with a hand signal. He will hold a look for up to 45 seconds without looking away. And you feel like you're getting more of a connection. Either you're walking him more, he's playing fetch, you're playing toy games with him, he's getting extra cuddles. Work on the relationship because you're gonna need that relationship for him to trust you when he hears a fire engine again. I would start with the volume very, very low because this is one of the bigger triggers. There's two triggers that I'm sure he's tuned into. One is the sound. I'm sure visually if he's seen anything, mainly the sound and how you react. Those are the things that are his biggest markers. So when you get stressed because you have to call, not that you shouldn't have, but when you get stressed, he's getting stressed. He's anticipating the worst because you don't know what's gonna happen and everybody's kind of in this deep, dark hole. Try and check in with yourself and work on some of your emotions with this as well. Take deep breaths, take breaks. Do not pressure yourself, okay? You can't rush either of you through this. If you do, you're gonna go backwards anyway. So take your time. It's about restoring his relationship with you, maybe making it even stronger. You know, a lot of times when you have two dogs, they become dependent on each other and they often don't know what to do when the other dog is gone. And so we have to fill that void. So now once you've gotten him to the point where he's giving you eye contact, you can isolate his movements. You can start playing that fire engine sound at a very low volume. And when he first hear it, you go, what's that? And give him a treat and turn it off. That's the first time. That's all I would do the very first time. Because just hearing that, and he's got sensitive hearing, is going to probably set him to a certain emotional state. Now, he probably isn't going to go bonkers because it was lower. None of the other signals will be there, right? Because you're not going to be stressed. You're going to know what you're doing and that you're not really in danger. And he's going to figure that out. He's going to go, okay, so mom isn't scared about this. Why not? 
So you're teaching him a break in pattern from what he knew to what now is. You're teaching him that these the sound of a fire engine doesn't mean mom's going to be scared and it doesn't mean we have to anything has to change. Okay? And you'll gradually when he doesn't react to hearing it after a second or two, add a couple of seconds. Now, you're not making it louder. You're just adding a few seconds. And you do this until you've got about 30 seconds of audio playing very low. Now, after you've kind of mastered that and you're not seeing much of a negative reaction from him anymore, that's when you start pulling up the volume. You also may have to bump down the length of time. Now, why do you have to do this? Because you've already gone through the process. Well, dogs don't generalize well. So when you add more of the stimuli, you're going to see more of the reaction. And you have to work from that point. So now you'll hear the fire truck this time. It's a little louder. So you might see Max bristle up and he might get all tightened up. And so now you know that's his new threshold. That's as much as he can handle. So you play it at that volume and you'll say, what's that? And he'll go, oh, wait a second. And you could at that point ask him to look at you and sit. And then you give him the treat. So now you're teaching him to isolate his movement and stay connected with you. And you're actually engaging him with the thing that was once a trigger. You're making it a positive experience because now it's associated with a treat. Now, let's assume he's especially scared. And even at the lowest volume, he doesn't want to take a treat. I've had dogs that had that level of anxiety. So if he won't take a treat, that's okay. But do praise him and pet him. Rub him down and still end the behavior as quickly as he's done it. Because small tries become bigger behaviors. Okay? This is a lot for him to take on. So you're going to have to be a little gracious with how quickly he can swallow it. Because not only is he in mourning, but you're learning together. So when you see signs of stress, you don't immediately end the sound, but you try and get him checking in with you. Get that eye contact from him. Get him to sit. And then that will help relax him, okay? Because for dogs, to calm the mind, we have to calm the body first. So isolation of movement and position without forcing them into a down and without forcing them into a sit when it's their choice, when we're promoting the right responses and going, that's what I want, good try, then we're going to see them try in the right direction instead of running in circles and just being more stressed than they were when we started, okay? I would love an update from you and let me know how it's going because we might have to tweak some of these things. Again, my deepest condolences. I, I lost my service dog this year. It was very, very painful. And I am so sorry for what your family has endured this year. It is just, it's a lot, that you guys are taking on, but I commend you for trying to help Max through this and you guys are in my prayers. Are you an aspiring podcaster? Do you have a great idea for a show but have no idea where to begin? What equipment will you need? Which host should you use? Perhaps you're an established show and editing is taking valuable time out of your day. Endeavor Podcast Solutions has you covered. It's so easy. You just send in your recording and in as little as two days, you'll get it back professionally edited, mixed, and mastered. From podcast strategy to post-production, trust Endeavor. Our next question comes from Kayla, and I definitely wanted to hit this one early on because I'm actually not going to give you a tremendous amount of advice, but I'm going to explain why. So her question was, I would like to know if there's something I can do from home to heal my dog's skin infection. Okay. 
I don't offer medical solutions. There's a lot of reasons I don't do this, liability being one of them. So I can't actually give you any sort of recommendations. The other reason I can't offer recommendation is because I've not actually seen the animal. I have no idea what is going on with his skin. Even if you sent me photos, a lot of things can look like other things. The best bet whenever you have an infection, especially because it can spread, is to take your dog into a vet immediately. I would recommend that you do this probably if, you, how, I don't know how long the infection's been going on, but schedule with your vet as soon as possible because you don't want this to travel to other parts of his body. I will also mention that most skin conditions can be easily treated, but infections in dogs can be nasty things, so definitely have him checked out. So I'm very sorry I can't give you advice on your dog's skin condition. Condition, but I do hope he makes a swift recovery once he sees the vet and that it's nothing too serious. Our next question comes from New Zealand. I just discovered your show and I love it. I'm busy listening to all the episodes back to the beginning. Oof, some of the audio back there isn't that great. So I hope you're you're managing with me. I, I definitely tried to work on the audio quality over time. So welcome. I'm so glad to have you here. Anyways, she writes, I have two questions for you, please, that I haven't come across in the shows I've listened to yet. You recommend raw feeding as something that's very good for dogs. You have done it, etc. yet also simultaneously talk about not having crude protein higher than a certain percentage. It seems to me a raw diet would be high protein, higher than your recommended percentage. How is a raw diet okay if it is too high in protein? I feed my dog raw. He's nine weeks old. I've had him for one week and we're in the process of transitioning him on an 80-10-10 model. My other question is related to behavior. This dog is nippy. I've never seen a dog mouth and bite so much. It's not aggressive, very playful, but extremely full on. Perhaps it would help if I mentioned that he's a terrier and full of large terrier personality. We have three children, five years and under, one is a baby. We really can't have nipping happening and need to get it under control as soon as possible. Please, do you have any advice? He has a crate and a pen. He is in there unless I can actively supervise him. I do regularly play with him, show him attention, and give him exercise and outdoor time. Whenever he's nipping, we give him a toy instead, which may or may not work. He can be relentless. Help. Thank you, Nikki. Okay. So, as far as a raw diet goes, if you are following a raw diet plan, the crude protein level is different. Okay, so crude protein is different from raw protein. Crude protein is how it's digested. It's, it's a portion of the food that's essentially like fat and sugar. So that's why I caution people when it comes to crude protein. When you are dealing in a raw food diet, you don't have those additives that like break down into sugar and things like that. You're literally feeding raw food supplements in often cases and uh, vegetables and those sorts of things. So in your case, that's actually not going to apply to you. Now, crude protein, the real danger in it is not exposure to it in and of itself. It's actually, 
it's different from the protein that we're, we're talking about in raw food because cr crude protein is the breakdown process and additives, which we pretty much deduct. You're not processing it. You know, you're not processing the raw food. So because of that, you aren't getting those same crude protein levels. So while you're feeding a raw protein and you would think, okay, it's got to be higher because now it's not been processed. Like we're not, we must be having to break it down somewhere or limit it. But just like there's a difference between a good carb and a bad carb for us, there's good protein and bad protein for dogs. So that's my two cents on that. In terms of the nipping, oh, you've got a terrier. <laughs> this is going to be a challenge, okay? My first piece of advice is be super consistent. If you want this to go away quickly, be aggressive about addressing it. Not aggressive with the dog, but handle it, be proactive, let's do it right now, right now, right now. Also, since he's only eight weeks, you're in an imprint period. So if he learns it now, you're actually going to have a longer retention rate on this behavior. So good and bad, let's fix it now. So I really like what you were doing with offering him a toy when he's getting Malvi, but there's a few other elements that I would add. First of all, if you're actively playing with him when he starts nipping, end the game, okay? So immediately you go, uh-uh, stand up and end the game. Don't look at him, don't play with him. If he tries chasing you, then I would go, uh-uh, and I'd put him in his crate. Now, there's a reason I'm doing this. It's to break up the behavior. It's so that he understands that when you've told him and then he goes right back to the behavior, now he's on his own. That's not what he wants. He wants to be included in the family, which is ultimately what you want. But just like you're not going to let the kids bite you, <laughs> um, you know, he needs to have essentially a timeout for that. And I know that you want the, the crate to be a positive place. I do too, but all positive places have boundaries, your home being one of them. So I don't actually agree with the belief that you can never do anything in terms of training with the crate. The, tra the crate is an amazing training tool and you're already utilizing it. So what I would do is I would interrupt the behavior by when, if he's nipping at you when you're playing, stop playing, uh-uh, and just stop. Now, if he goes to try and nip you again, that's when I go, uh-uh, and put him in his crate. Now, is he going to bark? Probably a lot. He's going to protest this because you have the audacity to intervene on a behavior that he found lots of fun. So in your case, you're going to have to deal with a lot of that barking, and he's probably going to mess with the crate and that sort of stuff. So make sure nothing valuable is in there and nothing with rope in it because, you know, sometimes they'll start destroying things in their crate because they're mad. The other thing you want to do is encourage the right behavior. So how can you do that with a dog that's already very, very nippy? So I would take a little bit of peanut butter on a spoon and like the tiniest bit, like barely dip it into your peanut butter container. And then I would let him lick it. I would start with the spoon, putting it on a spoon. And while he's licking it, say, say hi. Because ultimately this would be an acceptable way to meet somebody licking them instead of nipping them. So you can say, say hi, and then let him lick the peanut butter. And while he's licking it, good boy. But if he starts trying to nibble at it, go, uh-uh, and take it away. Now, what are you doing? You're teaching him that when he starts biting at something, that it's taken away. And it's not your hand. So start there. Now, when he's licking it, you're going to be praising him. He has access to it. The second he tries to bite at it, you'll, uh-uh, take it away. And then you'll give him another chance. Now, this is teaching him that licking is acceptable, but contact is not. 
I know he isn't trying to harm you, but I don't actually make a difference to the dog between play biting and real harm. To me, if I don't want to see it in its worst form, I just don't want to see it. So when I see a dog even opening his mouth around a hand or anything like that, even if he's not made contact around the hand, even if he's not chomping down, even if he's just brushing with his teeth over your hand or arm, I go, "Uh uh-uh. And I ask for a sit, which is an incompatible behavior. They can't sit and bite you at the same time. I mean, they can if you're still putting your hand in their mouth, but you shouldn't be doing that. So assuming you're not doing that, this is a good way of interrupting the behavior, giving him something simple to do that's that's very easy to train. I mean, it's very easy to teach a dog to sit. All you have to do is take the treat and lure back towards their eyes, back towards their back until they're popped down into a sit position. And there you go. Then you gave him the treat. It's that easy. Now, how do you transfer this to a hand? Well, once he's got the hang of only licking the peanut butter off of the spoon and he isn't trying to bite at it or nibble at it at all, and you've started ending games whenever he starts nipping at you and he's getting crated whenever he nips at you when he's not supposed to, you know, he goes back to you. Now you're establishing a lot of behaviors. So now I would start putting a little bit of peanut butter on your hand with an open palm, just your flat hand, not on your fingertips, on your flat hand and saying, say hi. And when he says hi and starts licking it, good boy, good boy. If he does any sort of nibbling whatsoever, you take it away, wash your hands off and it's over because he's already learned the behavior. So this is not unfair to only let him have one shot at it because now we've got human hands. So the stakes are higher, right? And I want the adults in the house to practice this first and let him learn it from them. The kids can do the spoon exercise with him, but I don't want them to be at risk at all. You're an adult. You can handle a puppy. But for now, I want him to have very clear signals. Once he's established it with you and everything's going well with him licking your hand as well, then you can have the kids do it also. But we don't want to send him mixed signals. We want consistency. So I would start interrupting Playtime when he's nipping, if he goes back to nipping or if you're moving around the house, he chases you and tries to nip at your shoes, your clothes. I've seen terriers do this stuff a million times. You go, "Uh uh-uh, and crate up. And only crate for five or 10 minutes or until he's quiet, whichever's first. But he has to be either sitting or laying down in that crate for you to let him back out of it and not until. Because you want to always be promoting calm behavior in a dog. Even if he's not showing you aggression, even if he's not showing you anxiety, Always promote the behavior you want to see long-term because really you're building that foundation now. So I hope all of that helps. Once again, if you have a question for me, you can submit it to me. Just send your email to dogguru, here for you at gmail.com or you can find us at the Dog Guru Hounds group on Facebook, just searching Dog Guru Hounds. We would love to see you in there. It's a great place to... Ask your doggy questions. I'm very active in the group. You can share your doggy stories, photos, all the doggy things, and meet other listeners just like you. And I want to tell you about one of my most recent posts. So if you guys love your dogs and have a million photos of them like I do, then I have the perfect gift for you. (laughs) It's called the Pup Pillow, and I love mine. So when you first look at it, it's just 
one color, like mine's gold, right? And you wipe your hand over it and you can see your dog's photo. And I have to tell you, every time I look at my bed and I see my dog's photo smiling at me in the morning and it totally makes my day. I really can't think of a better gift if you're a dog lover. I'm gonna get one for Sterling and Baldor also because my very first one is of Bear, who if you guys have heard me mention it a million times, I lost this year and I miss very dearly. So having a piece of him is not only commemorative, but it makes me feel closer to him. And this offer is only good for Dog Guru listeners. So go to mermaidpillowco.com slash askyourdogguru, or you can click the link right in the show notes. Super easy. You'll love it. I know you will. Keep your questions coming. I love reading from all of you. If you haven't taken a second already, if you could please rate us wherever you're listening to us, you can always donate to the show at paypal.me slash yourdogguru. And last but not least, if you don't have time to do either one of those things, I understand we have very busy lives. Just tell a friend about us. Everybody has a dog and we would certainly appreciate helping them as well. That's it for me today, everybody. This has been Victoria, your dog guru. Namaste. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios.